Welcome to Hiring Care, an audio drama about those of us who grew up in residential placement and now work with children, youth, and families. My name's Charlie. I went into care in the 80s as a youth. So I was, the first time I went in, I was 11. And then I went in and out before becoming permanent until the age of 17. And I didn't age out, I was returned to my mother, like a few months before aging out. And I think, I think it was a deliberate decision on part of Children's Aid at the time to not be responsible for my aging out. And that's the thing about this system. It's called care. But you have to ask, what is being cared for? And then, like at a really basic level, what is care? And for me, first and foremost, it's an ideology and a life commitment. It's a way of life. It's not a profession. But you know, to me, you do CYC, child and youth care, because you have an ethic of care that drives your commitment to this work. And it doesn't have to be CYC per se. So it could be, you know, in any realm of your life, whether you're a foster parent or a volunteer, working in policy, you're doing research. It's just an ideological commitment to like ex being accountable to others and to up upholding people's dignity and well-being through an ethic of commitment and love and uh, kind of showing up. And you know, the rest is, you know, okay, what tools or what framework or what concepts you do you use to do that? And so for me, that's when I get into the indigenous concepts because they're the ones that inform how I care and why I care. So the conversation you're going to hear today is about some of the agendas in this system, which calls itself care. is now activated. Hi everyone. Thanks for coming to this second conversation of child and youth care practitioners from CARE. Uh, we've been trying to find some more people to join our conversations to uh, address our um, lack of racial diversity. So we have a couple of additional people here today. I'm thinking we could all introduce ourselves. Um, I can start. I think everyone knows me, but um, I'm Terry. I've been working in CYC for a long time. Uh, let's put it this way. I graduated with something called a child care worker diploma in the 80s, before some of you were even born, I expect. Yeah, uh, I was born in 94. 93. Crazy, so weird. I am so old now. <laughs> I was born in the 60s. <laughs> 
um, Charlie? Uh, age? Date? Birthdays? Oh, no thank you. <laughs> yeah, enough of this game, Terry. Um, I'm Alicia. I've been working in CYC for about 15 years. Um, I did group care for a long time, like six or seven years. And I worked in child welfare with incarcerated youth, mental health, youth advocacy, respite, case management, autism, relief work. And now I work for a, an unnamed school board. Pretty much, if you can do it in CYC, I've done it. You really have. CYC is all about the hustle. Like I said last time, I work six jobs right now and I'm in school. Someday I hope to graduate and then have two or three jobs like a normal CYC. <laughs> oh, yeah. My name's Leela. I'm Charlotte. I I graduated last year. Um, now I work with Indigenous youth and it's one job, uh, <laughs> and one is exhausting enough. I have no idea how you're doing six. I don't either. Uh, my name's B. I graduated a couple years ago, and I actually had a hard time finding work that paid enough because, uh, well, I'm, I'm actually in the process of getting custody of my little brother who was in foster care. Wow, how's that going? Interesting. <laughs> It's been like, uh, it has been an interesting journey. I could say that. I bet. So um, now I'm selling cars. What? Yeah. Um, and if you ask anybody, I know nothing about cars. But um, believe it or not, my background gives me a lot of help with this. Because in the end, yes, I'm selling cars, but I'm actually helping people who have bad credit. And so because a lot of people who have been in situations given bad credit, I'm able to empathize with them and actually connect with them on a personal level um, and help get them into a vehicle. So actually, believe it or not, I'm in my way counseling a lot of people. Transferable skills. <laughs> exactly. Um. My name is Charlie. I guess I'm one of the new ones. I'm First Nations and a guest on this land, as I wasn't born where I'm now living. My CYC work is mostly with Indigenous youth. Chelsea, I'm also First Nations, and I work in a girls' group home. Okay. Did we miss anyone? Chelsea, Charlie, Charlotte, a lot of Cs. Alicia, Leela, and B, and I'm Terry. Okay, um, yeah, so uh, where to begin? Um, so I was thinking, we talked a little about this last time, but since we have some new people here, I'm wondering if we might start with some of the benefits of being from and working in care. Charlie? Uh, you know, it, the system on an individual level allowed me some opportunities, but I want to be clear that the cost is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Right. And that's the option offered to young Indigenous people, that if you want to survive, 
You like have to abandon your community and your culture. And that's like the only choice that we're given. Yet it's the worst violence and it's not a success. And I think, you know, you could look at me and say, what a success story, but it's not, it's, you know, it's pulling yourself with, with through your teeth and your spirit in a situation that should never have happened. Like I should never have had to experience these things. I agree with Charlie. I was brought up in a certain way. I was born in a specific region, born into a specific Caribbean home. Um, but then the traditional culture aspect of life, I, I, I don't necessarily practice the lifestyle. So for me, like one of the main things I'm like dealing with right now is how do I truly identify myself? that's going to be an, an equitable way where I still recognize like some of the privilege I hold, but then also what are the barriers that I face when working with like other people? Like one thing, one big thing is there's an overrepresentation of black and indigenous youth in the child welfare system where I work like specifically. It's all across the country, Leila. Yeah, good point, Chelsea. Like, when I was in a group home, I one of the common things that, especially the one that I work in right now, a bunch of the youngins, they complain that, you know, people are Caucasian. There's no First Nations youth workers. So for me, um, making the choice to go into university was kind of like um, wanting to role model that. That's so important, Chelsea. You know, I've never had a First Nations mentor in child and youth care ever. I've never had a First Nations instructor or anything. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you know, we don't really have a capacity as a field to invite Indigenous students and ensure that they will receive coursework and mentors and practice opportunities that are rooted in, you know, in a strong and diverse kind of indigenous worldview. And and I think, I also think that the system has been so stuck. But we need to ask why, Alicia, why is it so stuck? Who benefits when it's stuck? And to answer that requires a critical understanding of settler history and the ideologies that at the heart of settler colonialism and colonialism which shows up in different ways in all the systems in which we work, but that are this kind of the same throughout, which is control. Control, yeah. Like we're often never placed with our own cultures or religions or families that we can identify with. And, and even when we are, it's oftentimes a more traumatic experience which, which comes from that deep-rooted intergenerational trauma that's been happening. Yeah. Like, we're really... It, it's so different based on so many experiences. Privilege. I'm, you know... I mean, as a white Jewish privileged person, I come from, you know, uh, a culture that tends to be more affluent and more educated. And... And then I'm talking to somebody who's of indigenous background who came from Native Family Child Services who went to 14 different foster homes before landing in group homes. And 
And I think we hear those stories and we know those stories, but we don't really truly know those stories until we look at what the systemic issues are and how that impacts the kid. In my current role as a, as like a white woman working in an indigenous agency, uh, I think it's, it's like really humbled me in understanding my privilege. Um, you know, and like, and like recognizing even the kind of, uh, you know, like difference in the type of care. And, and like, I wouldn't say, um, like the privilege I have in care because like, I don't want to be using that terminology in relationship to foster care, but, um, you know, like the, under the differences in my, um, you know, like my experience of not being racialized by the care system, you know, like not entering the care system because of systemic issues such as, you know, like in, intergenerational trauma and colonialism. Uh, however, like the relationships I have to the people I work with is lived experience in the care system, right? So like that's actually our bonding, um, like at the base of our relationship, which is it's quite interesting. If you're working with indigenous communities, you have to know all the history and how each of these things, systems, residential schools, the 60 scoops, the millennial scoop, the child welfare, the adoption systems are all linked together by the same very overt ideology of basically genocide. You have to understand what's happened to indigenous kids in these systems and to these families. And without that, you're, you're not effective in your intervention because you just responded responding to the outcome rather than the cause. And so to me, care in CYC requires an understanding of that history. It requires a critical understanding of colonial ideologies and, and white supremacy and white, and white colonialism. Yeah, for sure. Like being a person of color in this field, I feel like it doesn't change anything in the sense that we're still faced with the same barriers as being a person of color while like working in a bank or library or being a plumber or whatever, you're so automatically looked upon. Um, you're so constantly faced with the million and one microaggressions of like, oh, where are you from? Oh, I didn't know it was your first language or like, but you're speaking so well or you're not as dark as I thought you would be or just little things like that. And in general, it's the same in the sense of it's the same discrimination within CYCP. <sighs> That's because the field is super white. It's an extremely white field. And the, you know, the leading thinkers, practitioners and scholars in the field, for the most part, tend to be white men. And I'm, oh, there's a few women, but you know, yeah, I totally know. I mentor students and go into classes to talk about my experiences. And I still deal with a lot of people that, you know, that are, that get frustrated that they have to take, um, that they have to learn about the residential schools and everything. But the majority of the youth that are in these, um, these programs that we work in are those youth, right? So, um, so I try to be patient, educate, ask questions. And to be honest, like um, I think what kind of helps me whenever I go to work, I try to give my 110% energy towards things. 
whether, you know, that's reflecting back to how things were done when I was growing up and how I can shift that focus onto like these new, these other youth, because things have changed drastically in like, since I was like a teenager. So would you say that's why you went into this field? To, to mentor or, or role model being First Nations and from care? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. It's kind of wanting to, wanting to influence positive change. Um, for me, I guess for me, like, um, just because I had an experience growing up, like at the time when I was 16 and dabbling in drugs, I definitely thought it was the end of the world. Um, but now that I'm like working in the field, if I weren't, if, if I never experienced those, I probably wouldn't have been in this field. Right. Right. So I definitely had that mentality of everything happens for a reason. It's a positive spin on, um, you know, it's, it's just a different perspective that I have. You've been listening to Hiring Care, Season 2 of Tuning In to Child and Youth Care, an audio drama inquiry with child and youth care practitioners who have lived in residential placement, a PhD study out of the University of Victoria's School of Child and Youth Care. Hiring Care was created, recorded, and produced across many Indigenous territories, including the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat and Patuan First Nations, the Anishinaabe, the Six Nations of the Haudenosaunee, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Actors recorded from diverse territories, including the ancestral homes of the Munsi, Lenape, and the Canarsi peoples, Wekizgeek, the Mohawk and Algonquin First Nations, the Ojibwe, Chippewa peoples, as well as the Beothuk and Mi'kmaq. Hiring Care was scripted from 10 one-on-one recorded conversations with child and youth care practitioners who had lived in group homes, foster homes, semi-independent living, and related child protection services while growing up. This fictionalized audio drama inquiry recreation was performed by Carmen Mayers as Terry, Daniel Smith as Chelsea, D. Philpotts as Leela, D.M. Lafontune as Charlie, Evan Mercer as B, Melissa Williams as Charlotte, and Naomi Tesler as Alicia. Hiring Care was edited by Zoe Lunsky, sound designed by Shaheen Arifdin, and scripted and directed by myself, Wolfgang Vachon. To learn more about Hiring Care, including cast, editors, and director bios, and to hear season one or read some of the publications coming out of this research project, please visit tuningintocyc.org.